Hello and welcome to the Business of Data podcast. My name is Catherine King and I'll be your host. Welcome to season three. It's absolutely lovely to have you joining us. In this series, we will be talking to executives and thought leaders from a range of industries, departments and functions, all about their passions, experiences and challenges within data and analytics. Let's go ahead and dive straight into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Business of Data podcast. Today, we are talking all about geodata, customer data, and the future of flood insurance. Now, to do just that, we have brought in the wonderful Jim Albert, who is both chairman and co-founder of Neptune Flood. Now, it was about two years ago that I first met Jim at one of our geo insurance conferences, about two years ago now in New York. And since then, we have been keeping up on LinkedIn. And I thought, what better time than to bring him back on and chat to me on the podcast. Now, if you haven't met Jim before, uh, just a few intro facts for you. Before co-founding Neptune Flood Insurance, Jim held a number of senior roles within uh, tech recruitment consultancies and financial corporations as well. Now, Neptune Flood Insurance aims to use advanced analytics and intuitive, simple quoting process to transform the way flood insurance is purchased in the US, which is super exciting. I'm really looking forward to asking Jim a bit more about that. And uh, and on a personal note, if you can't find Jim at his work desk, you'll most likely find him out on his paddleboard or spending time with his family. Jim, it's lovely to have you joining us today. Catherine, thank you so much for having me here. And the timing actually is great because hurricane season officially ended just uh, nine days ago, 10 days ago oh, here. Okay. So, and we're right right in the center of it in St. Petersburg, Florida. So we're, we're breathing a sigh of relief that we're finally beyond the 2020 season. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I, I always start with a nosy question. If we're, we're now in season three, so uh, if, you're, if you're a regular listener and watcher, then you know how we do it here. So I, I want to pick your brains on just that. I mean, you do sound a little obsessed with water. I'm not going to lie, Jim, with the, the day job being to do with flood and then uh, out on the paddleboard as well. But given the last year we've had with 2020, were you able to uh, get out as much on the paddleboard as, as you were uh, previous? <laughs> well, uh, first thing, with bars and restaurants being pretty much off limits, you know, what else What else are we going to do? <laughs> but, uh, seriously, though, St. Petersburg, Florida is a... Uh, pretty amazing place to live and there's if I look down the street from my my uh, work from home location here I see the bay and then we've got bayous and canals and waterways all over the place so yes I've been out a lot in fact this past weekend we were out on our boards and a whole pod of manatees rolled by us right up underneath the board and these animals are 11 feet long so this is a little stunning thing to watch one go underneath your board but we had um dolphins and sharks and rays and schools of fish and all kinds of exotic birds and it's really a great way to get away from the insurance industry in general and covid and everything else (laughs) i'm not gonna start this i'm not gonna start this episode by saying insurance industry is dull but you have just compared it with sharks (laughs) quite literally swimming around you which sounds extremely exciting and give me me the sharks any day yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness me awesome well it's great to have you on the podcast i always like to start out learning a little bit more about the, the thought leaders behind the, the roles that we that we have here. But now set the scene for me, Jim, for, for the audience members who perhaps haven't heard of Neptune Flood, bear in mind that we do have a global audience, so they may not have. Could you uh, talk us through a bit about the journey that you've been on since late 2016? 
Sure, sure, yeah. The the U.S. flood insurance market, and that's where that's where we focus. We're 100% U.S. flood insurer right now, and the flood insurance market in the U.S. is dominated by a government provider, the National Flood Insurance Program. So unlike the U.K. that has flood re, that's kind of a shared shared yeah. pool resource, or unlike other countries, the U.S. has this this one primary provider that has over 90% market share. And there are lots of good reasons for that. And, and, and the uh, National Flood Insurance Program had done an exceptional job over the years. But as with most government programs, technology has started to outstrip what, uh, what, is, what has happened within the flood space. And, and so what we tried to do, what I, what I tried to create in Neptune when I founded it in 2016 was create an Amazon-like buying experience in flood insurance. You know, why, why not? I mean, you, yeah. can, you can get one-click buying for virtually everything else you do in life. Well, why, why should you have to go through you know, 54 questions and a 30-day wait and all those things mm -hmm. of, a, of a, a kind of a 1983 process? Yeah. So, so we try to make it easy to buy flood insurance in the US through the use of data analytics and a really simple online quoting platform. And we did it. So in 2016, started the company, took about a year and a half to build out the tech to get uh, backing from Lloyd's and various reinsurers. And then, and then we started to accelerate. It was a typical startup experience. We went through the, the bootstrapping and the moments of brilliance interrupted by mo moments of sheer terror and crisis. But, <laughs> but fortunately, I was surrounded by some really amazing people. And uh, and so we grew and now here it is December 2020 and we've got over 50,000 policies as of last week and uh, and it's been a real tremendous growth story. One other thing different about Neptune as an insure tech, you, you hear stories, you read the stories of insure techs you know, bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars of capital and with a question of is this thing ever going to be profitable? Well. We've built a profitable company. We went profitable a year and a half ago. And the idea is to be sustainable for our employees, yeah. for our customers, for the agents, for our business partners, to be a going concern for a long time. So that's that's what we tried to create. Absolutely. What a journey. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to exploring that a little bit more today. Now, uh, for, for frequent listeners of, of the Bob Pod, you'll, you'll know that I speak to such a range of, of companies and industries. And it, it's fair to say that most of the insurers that I talked to, in fact, the, the previous episode to this one, uh, Alan Crane from USAA, he was suffering with a company that, well, I say suffering sounds harsh, but a hundred year old legacy uh, that comes along with legacy systems. Now you are completely digital. So what sort of uh, challenges do you experience as a totally digital insurer compared to those who are perhaps in the more traditional sense of, of insurance? Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've worked for traditional insurers and worked for giant companies, and and that legacy stack is a is a real hindrance to to speed and and being nimble in the market. So mm -hmm. starting up a company allowed me to move really really fast. That said, the one the one big inhibitor within the large companies that I've seen, and they've told me this as well, is it's it's actually not the tech stack, and it's it it it's not you know funding or whatever. It's actually the culture. And getting through the culture and, and being able to move fast through a series of reviews and bureaucracy and hierarchy that, that stop you from moving fast. But but for Neptune, you're right. We're 100% digital. We yeah. um, we're, we're we're 23 or 24 people, I think, right now. So it's it's a small company, and we're able to to do a lot with a few. 
But uh, one of the one of the challenges was actually skepticism. And in fact, mm -hmm. initially from Lloyd's in 2016, <laughs> 2017, when I was over in London and I was visiting with various uh, Lloyd's syndicates, there was a lot of skepticism about this thing of digital insurance. And, and could, could a digital model actually replace the, the traditional backroom full of underwriters? And, and when I explained that we, we actually, no, we have no exceptions. We, we don't have any underwriters, in fact. Mm -hmm. the, the underwriter is the computer. <laughs> But so that was that was one of the first ones, and and we we proved in the model at this point. I think uh, one of the other challenges has been it's so easy, and it really is. People are amazed when they first get on onto our platform and say, "Wait, are we done already?" I, mm. You mean we're at bind already? That we've actually we we got a number of false binds. We'd have uh, agents go onto the system and they they accidentally hit bind because they couldn't believe they were done already. So we've had to add a pop-up window when they get to the bind. We have a pop-up that says, "Yes, we really mean bind," <laughs> so so that we stop getting these false positives. <laughs> I mean, that that's a pretty good testament for how simple and quick it is for certain. And I, I just kind of go back to your to your first challenge there of, of skepticism. I can imagine you walking into into one of those Lloyd's offices and they they literally being just flabbergasted at, at this concept. I mean, given where we are and given the context of what 2020's done for digital transformation, I feel like that concept is probably not as scary as it was, but back in 2016, I can imagine, although that's only a couple of years ago, really in the grand scheme of things, I can imagine that was a very, very different cultural experience. So, uh, so congratulations on being so early in the in the adoption of it. But uh, you're right. You're right, though, Catherine. It is different now. And in fact, in in where you and I first met in the conference that you were hosting at that time, there was a debate about mm -hmm. by making it very easy to buy insurance. Are you actually compromising on quality? And I think time has proven the answer to this question. But there was a big debate at the time. The, the answer is no, you're actually enhancing quality by automating so many so many of those data polls, you're taking the human judgment out of it. Mm -hmm. And no one knows what the square footage of their house is, for example. So when you get asked that, you immediately introduce error into the underwriting process. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, we, when we spoke previously, I, I, I remember you telling me around 90% of high risk properties are currently uninsured full flood, which is just a crazy high figure to me. Why do you think that is, and what do you think should be done about it? It is. It's unlike any other line of insurance, mm -hmm. uh, at least of the major lines. So if you think about auto insurance or homeowners insurance in the UK or the US, it's the same thing. You have to have it. Yeah. It's not optional. So a company coming into the space as, let's say, an insure tech startup, the only way they can grow in homeowners and auto is they have to go grab somebody else's market share and persuade people to not buy that policy from that other insurer and buy your policy. Well, in, in flood, it's very different. So you look at storms like Hurricane Harvey in 2017 or recent hurricanes, every single one, the Midwest floods, it's not just hurricanes, it's, it's rain and river flooding as yeah. well. The majority of the people often that have losses have no insurance. Well, that's that's really a big problem, and and often it takes years to recover from that. Sometimes they don't ever recover from that. Yeah. So in the U.S., Verisk in 2019 did a study and identified that there are 62 million homes at moderate to extreme risk of flooding. Mm. Well, given there are about 120 million homes in the U.S., more than half then are at moderate to extreme risk of flooding. There are only five and a half million 
policies. So you can run the numbers more than 90% yeah. of the people, as you said in the question, more than 90% of the people or homeowners that are at moderate to extreme risk of flooding have no insurance coverage at all. Yes. So that's, that's the coverage gap. And, and yeah. it's, it's really a, a big, big problem. And I think when, when, for anyone who's experienced floods, I mean, I grew up on the Somerset levels here in the UK, which is one of the areas in, in the UK that gets really badly flooded most years, probably every three years you get something really bad. And, you know, in villages very close to where I grew up, you know, you, you were dealing with six foot of water in your home and mm. extremely traumatic, but flood is, in my, in, at least in my uh, experience and opinion, when you talk about it, there's always some misunderstanding as to how traumatic and difficult it can be until you're in that moment. And I wonder whether that impacts people's uh, perceptions of insurance as well, because, you know, you say hurricane or something like that, and it sounds much bigger, but actually these floods are, are no small matter either. Yeah, yeah, we did a, a survey the middle of this year, around July of this year, mm -hmm. and we surveyed a few thousand people around the US in all flood zones about their flood risk and about their view of flood insurance. Yeah. And you probably wouldn't be surprised, but the, the major findings were most people under, underestimate their risk of flooding. They think, yeah. it's, they think it's somebody else's problem. They underestimate how much loss would occur if they actually had a flood. One inch of water, for example, can mean $25,000 of damage to your home. One inch. And, and they, overestimate the cost of flood insurance because they hear the, the horror stories that flood insurance, they hear the $10,000 flood policy stories and think, oh no, I, I, I couldn't possibly afford that. Well, the average policy is on the order of eight or nine, eight or $900. And you can get policies for $350,000 of coverage for $400. Yes. So to save $50,000 of potential loss for $400 is really a pretty good value equation. Absolutely. Now, of course, this is the business of data podcast. So let's talk about uh, a bit about the data that fuels Neptune flood. How do you ensure that you have access to the most accurate data available? As you said there, right at the start, you're, you're removing uh, the humans from many elements. So you're gonna be really relying on those data and processes. Uh, so how do you make sure you have the most accurate data available and what data types do you use to assess someone's flood risk? Yeah, yeah, so we pull in about 100 different data elements. And when you enter an address, let's say you went on to Neptune's system and you, mm. you entered an address, you would get in one second, we pull in 100 different attributes and all in that one second, I'd love to show you the demo of it because we've created a little missile command like demo of it. But the actually any of your listeners can go to neptunefund.com and under about us, there is an experienced Triton and you can actually see our little missile command demo, which is real data. And it's pretty, pretty cool to see. Um, but we pull in about a hundred different data elements in that, in that one second when you enter the address and we do the full evaluation right then and there. Yeah. So we assess the risk. We, we validate the address and the location. We assess the risk. We price the risk. We calculate the aggregation. And then we also assign it to a, a reinsurer bucket of capacity. So all that, all that happens in that, in that instant. But you've asked a really good question about how do you ensure that you have the data? And there, there, are, a number, there are a number of fact, I kind of call them the four A's, but you have to make sure the data is available. Mm. So for example, often the data comes in about the structure, but it doesn't tell me whether or not it has a basement. So we have to have multiple sources to ensure that we know whether it has a basement or not. 
So you have to have data available. It's got to be accessible. If it's in a PDF or a spreadsheet, that's not really helpful. I need to be yeah. able to get it in one second because we're evaluating it right now. And then it needs to be accurate. So yes. if it's a geocode, if the geocode of the house is is a half a mile down the road from where the actual house is, that's a problem. And we're we're underwriting the wrong location if we do that. Can't, yeah. that, that can't that can't happen. So it's got to be accurate. And then what do you do with it? And that's the the magic is in the analytics that we provide and do after we pull in all the data. So we do all those four A's instantly. Maybe more than you wanted to know here, but that's all the stuff <laughs> that happens in that one second. Absolutely. No, we have such a range of, of listeners here. So I'm sure uh, the more techie, we're absolutely loving that. But no, it's great to great to hear the, all, all the different areas that you do consider when it comes to data. Now, as I said, I, I chat to lots of insurers regularly. And I think it's fair to say that pre-filling policy application answers is a bit of an insurance industry trend. Uh, lots and lots more are doing it now. But something quite unique to you guys is you, you can get a quote on Neptune Insurance by answering as few as two questions, I believe. So how do you collect the rest of the data you need to understand accurately someone's flood risk? Because I mean, they're not giving too much away with those two questions. So that means you've got to go and find it elsewhere. Well, so it goes to those, those four A's that we just talked about and, and having, especially having multiple sources. So I'll, I'll go back to the geo, geocode example that I have to have an accurate geocode. Mm -hmm. If I don't, then I have to have another source to get an accurate geocode. If that source is, doesn't have an accurate geocode, then I have to go to another source. And we literally step it down. In some cases, we have five or six different sources for that data in the possibility that the first one didn't come through with, with the data. So it's that's the access bit and, and the availability of the data. And then we have to yeah. assess the accuracy of it as well. The the other thing that, that we've made part of our business model is we're, we're not under the assumption that our data will be the only source of, of the solution. We, we actually rely on a network of people that provide us with data and provide us with information and provide us occasionally with analytics. So I go to Ensure Tech Connect every single year. The events that you run are exceptionally good, by the way, Catherine, the Caribbean events are, are great. And, and I go to those events to mostly meet people who are doing interesting things and, and, and innovating within the use of production of or the analysis of data. Yeah. And so all the time we're adding new suppliers If and, and people can reach me at jim at neptunefall.com if you think you'd fit into Neptune's ecosystem and can provide us with a unique line on data or analytics, I'd love to talk to you. Super. I'm loving how much you're plugging away here. I love it when a guest <laughs> uses the podcast uh, to, to really uh, get, get their word out there. I think that's great. Now, at the top of the conversation, you've said that the way you described it and the way you think of Neptune Flood is, is operating as basically the Amazon for flood insurance. Now, do you think this is an approach that more insurers should be moving towards this fast-paced, digitalized way of operating? So... I, I love this question. I think they are, for one thing, if you look at what's happened in the pandemic, there's this, been this huge uptick in grasping digital anything mm -hmm. and automation so that no one wants an inspector to come to their home right now, right? That, that, is, that is not something people yeah. are really looking forward to. So, so if you can find a way to incorporate automation into your model, then that's definitely a good thing and in line with the times. But, but I'd, I'd like to pose a scenario to you. So let's say that you go on to Amazon, let's use the Amazon example, and you're shopping mm -hmm. for clothes or furniture or technology or whatever. And at the end of the process, 
you click buy and a message pops up and says, thank you for your interest in Amazon. One of our representatives will call you within seven days to tell you if you qualify to buy our products and how much they will cost. Yeah. Have a nice day. <laughs> so, so how much would, would Amazon sell if that was their process? Yeah. And I, I think the answer is not much, <laughs> but, but now, even though I put it out there as kind of a joke, that is actually the best case in most insurance companies yeah. model right now. We'll call you back. We'll let you know if you qualify. We'll tell you what your rate is, and then you can decide if you want it or not. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. So, and, and insurance isn't the funnest thing to be doing, if I'm honest. So, you know, let's be, be paddleboarding, no you know? So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody sits down and goes, oh, yeah, I'm going to sort out my insurance today, unless you do, in which case, fair enough. But that elongated process as well you know it's not a fun thing to be doing let alone when you get a random call at work because they finally called you back after seven days and you're thinking what is this I don't have anything in front of me to make that decision so like you say it's it links into that that customer experience as well which again frequent listeners of the Bob pod know that I, I'm, I've got a big uh, idea that, that uh, customer experience and data analytics are going to come even closer in in the next few years because I think they're just going to be linked more more now than ever and, and as you say, just using that amount of data is just helping and improving that customer experience. Yeah, yeah. And a Amazon is a great example here. And how many mm -hmm. times, I know I'll, I'll talk to my own personal experience. I, so many times I'll just buy it on Amazon because it's so easy. I don't even bother to shop somewhere else. Yeah. So think about that in terms of insurance where people, when they finally get their heads around having to buy insurance, they've got to sign on to a, a, a days or weeks long slog to finally get the information that they need. Or you could go to one site that has seemingly all the information you need with a really good price and great coverage options. And you know what, I'll yeah. just do this. And, and that's, and that's what we see happening. As you said, with your survey, most people don't really want to, to buy flood insurance. So you don't want to make it hard for them when they finally decide that they actually really do need it. So, yes. so yep. very much part of it. Now, yeah. the time is is moving fast, so I want to get in a couple more uh, questions before we have to part ways today. Now, I know when we were catching up before now that you uh, have your eyes set on the commercial space as well for a possibility for, for uh, greater flood insurance coverage. What plans uh, have you got there? So when I first started Neptune, Catherine, in, in 2016, and, and we launched late 2017, I said, within six months, we'll be in the commercial space. And constantly, often I was asked, well, when are you going to the commercial? And I always said six months from now, <laughs> whenever that question got asked. And I really believed it would have been six months, but, but we had to get the residential right. We had to get the whole, we built the whole platform. It's all custom, it's all ours. And we needed to make sure that was working right before we went into commercial. So finally in June, 2020, pretty much four years after our, our the founding, um, we got into Main Street commercial. So just six months ago. Yeah. And then in September, we got into habitational and residential condo flood insurance. And that's in 48 states and Washington, D.C. So that's across the country now. Now, what I expect to happen, and I do think it is a crying need. There's a significant need for flood insurance. It's the same yeah. same process. You know, enter an address. You'll have a you, you'll actually see your quote within 10 seconds. It's crazy fast. And then you can bind in two minutes and do all that. Yeah. But, um, but what I expect to have 
start happening is first that'll expand a lot, but we'll also start to expand our coverages. Right now we go up to 2 million in coverage. We'd look to go to larger structures, larger habitational, larger hotels, larger commercial structures, and really start to expand the, uh, the complexity of the offering. But, but right now it's just, it's just super easy and we're excited to watch it grow. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a, a space to watch out for. So wrapping up here then, Jim, looking back over our conversation today, what would you say are your three main predictions about the future of insurance based on the things you've talked about? Well, it's a, it's a really good question. Predictions are notoriously wrong, <laughs> but uh, um, I think there'll be more personalization. So you look at the automated underwriting that it, it's not just Neptune, obviously. There are lots of insure techs. There are lots of big insurers that are automating many, many different aspects of their, their model. So insurance, largely is becoming more and more automated yeah. as uh, over time. And then artificial intelligence creates more options for customers. So just like we, we only evaluate that house, that house over there, not the one next to it, not the, yeah. the whole street is not evaluated in the same way, it's that house. So, so there's an opportunity with AI and automated underwriting to do extreme personalization of offers. Yeah. And, and you see that, and, and that'll create new product categories. For example, experiential insurance or time-bound insurance, mm -hmm. where most of the time your car is in your driveway and not doing anything else. How about if your auto insurance was just applicable to when your car is moving? Absolutely. Absolutely. Something like that. I mean, it's so interesting that you should bring this up because it is, it is uh, something we've spoken about before on, on, on two different uh, podcasts. One with uh, Block, with, which I'm sure you know is, is the drone insurer here based in the UK. And they were very much talking about the future and, and what data can enable with that type of uh, technology. But then also uh, we were chatting to Ricardo from Vauxhall in the automotive industry and saying that that's the trend in, in purchasing cars as well, is that they don't want to, to purchase a car that's going to sit on the side of the road for four days of the week. They only want to uh, you know, purchase the, the use of that car for, for how they want it. So it makes sense that the insurance industry is seeing that sort of yeah, similar yeah. trend as well. That's, so. a, that's a big trend. That's a big, big change. Two others real quick. Uh, I think regulators are, are going to have a difficult time balancing GDPR mm -hmm. and California CCPA privacy restrictions. Is that at, at our core as insurers, we're actuary, actuaries, we're underwriters, we're, we're statisticians. And, and the use of data in the appropriate way <clears throat> is really important to creating the best offering and an expansion mm -hmm. of, <clears throat> excuse me, opportunities for, for policyholders. But the data restrictions assume nefarious intent. And, and, and rightfully try and block inappropriate use of the data. Well, somewhere there has to be a balance of those things. I don't have the answer. I just know that there, there's going to be a lot of evolution of that. And right now, the trend is, is actually on limiting the use of data rather than allowing it for the appropriate reasons. And we could talk more and more about what some of those reasons might be next, next podcast. <laughs> and then, and then the, the last thing is, I just wanna say climate change is real. Mm -hmm. And and we see it in the in the flood business, the water levels, the intensity of storms, the amount of rain, the, the characteristics of storms. So flood risk is increasing and awareness is increasing. And I think this will lead to higher uh, consumer adoption of flood insurance. And there possibly will see an increased mandate on people buying flood insurance to, to help solve that coverage gap that we talked about earlier in the in the podcast. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's so interesting that 
that what we've what we've chatted about in this episode is really from the micro of how how you guys work within Neptune, but then also the kind of the macro influences around people's acceptance and, and awareness of blood. But then also again, even wider than that, the the implications of, of climate change and how that's going to be sadly increasing flood for, for many people um, and their areas and how that's naturally going to impact you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all the time we have today, Jim. So thank you so much for joining me. It's always great to catch up. Catherine, great to talk with you. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your very good podcast. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks. See you soon. Okay. Bye. There we go. So from paddleboarding through to flood insurance, Jim certainly is a very passionate speaker. What a brilliant episode. Now, for me, what's really interesting is this episode spoke about it quite a lot, and it's a theme that we are seeing increase over all the business of data formats is this link between the customer department and the data analytics department. They are blending closer and closer, whether you're thinking of experience or success or the customer journey, data analytics seems to be having an increased role as it should. We're all very passionate about data-driven decisions and it would seem that the best customer experience is absolutely intrinsically linked with a fantastically supported data and analytics department. I mean, just in this episode, Jim really focused and zeroed in on how much data the customer doesn't have to provide anymore because you can get it elsewhere and chances are it's going to be a bit more accurate as well. Food for thought and certainly a trend that I'm excited to see uh, explored more in 2021. As always, make sure you are subscribed to the Business of Data platform where you will be able to find lots more content and formats to tickle your fancies over data analytics. And don't forget to be following us on socials as well so you're able to interact with fellow thought leaders in this space. For now, stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you next time.